A reading from 1 Samuel. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Panina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on, year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his household went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, 
As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and remain there forever. I will offer him as a Nazarite for all time. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an epa of flour, and a skin of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. She left him there for the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Things were looking rather bleak for the Israelites. They had been in the long-awaited promised land for many years now, but things are not going quite as gloriously as they had anticipated. If you recall, after Joshua led the people across the Jordan River and they settled into the land, God had raised up judges to lead and protect the people and to keep them faithful to him. But the Israelites repeatedly strayed from the Lord and worshipped Canaanite idols instead. And as always happens when we put anything else in God's place in our lives, things began to deteriorate. The judges themselves became less faithful and less effective, and eventually they disappeared altogether. The tribes of Israel even began fighting against one another and almost completely wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. And as the book of Judges comes to an end, the Israelites are in complete social and moral disarray. The last verse of the book states it clearly. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Which is always a recipe for disaster although it does sound strikingly like our society today. Well, much like the situation in Israel, the story of Hannah was also looking pretty bleak. For the text tells us that she was barren and unable to have children. Now, if you recall, in this time and place, women were considered to have fulfilled their purpose in life by giving birth to sons especially. And not only did Hannah have no sons, she had no children at all. And to make matters worse, her husband Elkanah, though he loved her so dearly, he had another wife named Penina who already had given birth to several children, and she never let Hannah forget it. And yet, despite Hannah's deep pain and disappointment, she never lost her faith in God. 
And year after year, she waited on the Lord, praying desperately that her painful barrenness would finally come to an end. It's hard suffering through seasons of barrenness in life, isn't it? When your future's looking rather bleak, when all options seem to have disappeared, when life seems to be turning out just fine for everyone else, but not for you. Perhaps, like Hannah, you too have also waited for a child or for someone to marry or for your grief to go away. Maybe you've prayed and prayed that an illness would be healed and yet every doctor's visit ends with the same old news. Or maybe you've waited so long for a job or, or, or for a friend and everyone else seems to have one but you. Does anyone here know what it's like to suffer through a time of barrenness where all hope appears to be lost? Perhaps then the story of Hannah was written for you. Well, according to our text, every year Hannah's husband would take his family and they would go up to Shiloh where the Ark of the Covenant was kept in those days and they would worship and make sacrifices to Yahweh. Well, one time after the sacrifice, Hannah went and presented herself there before the Lord, praying desperately and weeping in her distress. And she makes a vow to God that if God would only hear her prayer and give her a son, then she would make him a Nazarite and dedicate his life to the Lord. So as Hannah is praying fervently that God would look down upon her suffering and be gracious to her, the priest Eli is sitting nearby and watching all of this take place. And Hannah's praying so passionately but silently, and so her lips were moving, but she wasn't making any sound, and Eli assumed that she must be drunk. So he tells her to stop making a spectacle of herself and put away her wine. But Hannah replies that she's not drunk at all, but that she's been pouring out her soul in anguish before the Lord. And Eli is apparently so impressed by her passion and her faith that he tells her to go in peace and he calls upon God to grant her request. You know, this isn't the last time that someone in Scripture is accused of being drunk. The religious leaders even accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. And do you remember on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon all the disciples in Jerusalem and they began proclaiming the good news in other languages, some of the people just scoffed at them and said they must be drunk. But Peter came out and he said, hey guys, come on, we're not drunk yet. It's only 9 a.m. I mean, the bars don't even open till noon. The truth is, faithfully living out the gospel and obeying Jesus' commands will often make us appear to be as good as drunk to the unbelieving world around us. 
After all, you'd have to be drunk to do such ridiculous things as praying for your enemies and forgiving those who have hurt you and taking precious time and energy away from your family and your work to go serve those in need whom you don't even know or to give 10% of your income to the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ rather than to your stockbroker or to pray to an invisible God and actually think that he hears your prayers even when they so often seem to go unanswered. Never mind believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God incarnate in the flesh who was crucified on a Friday but walked out of his tomb on Sunday morning, who even now is reigning as Lord of heaven and earth, and he continues to bring new life out of barrenness, even when all hope appears to be lost, even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. For Christ has conquered the grave, therefore death no longer has any power over us. And because he lives, we know that we shall live also now and forevermore. You'd have to be completely drunk to believe all that, right? Maybe. Or maybe, maybe faith just understands and perceives some things that unbelief cannot. There is a paradoxical logic to the gospel that our world will never grasp. After all, who would ever believe logically that it's more blessed to give than to receive? That in giving yourself away to others in the name of Jesus, you actually get back more than you give? Who would ever imagine a kingdom where the last are first, where the least are the greatest, where the poor and the hungry and those who mourn are blessed, and where you have to lose your life in order to truly find it. It just doesn't make any sense. And because it makes no sense to our world, at times we will be mocked for our faith, or worse, by those who do not share it. And since none of us want to be ridiculed or, or to be made to look foolish, this creates a lot of pressure on us to live according to the ways of the world rather than according to the ways of Christ's kingdom. And the truth is, it's usually so much easier for us to be petty than to be gracious, to be arrogant than humble, to be vengeful than forgiving, to be envious than grateful, to be dishonest than honorable, to do the right thing, or to, to take the easy way out than to do the right thing. It's easier to, to fit in with the crowd than to stand out in the name of Jesus. I mean, nobody wants to be ridiculed or targeted for being different. But we should be far more concerned if the world around us sees little difference between itself and the body of Christ. That if everything we say or do makes perfect sense, that if our lives reflect the values and the logic of this broken world rather than the strange logic of the gospel. 
And so perhaps the greatest compliment we could receive in attempting to live out our faith is that we're acting like people who must be drunk. And of course, we are. We're just living under the influence of a different kind of spirit. The spirit of Jesus Christ. And that spirit absolutely delights in bringing new life where there once was only barrenness. Well, after Hannah and her family returned to their home, the Lord did remember Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to a son whom she named Samuel. And the next year, when Elkanah took his family back to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice for the Lord, Hannah asked him if she could remain behind with Samuel until he was fully weaned, and then she would take him to Shiloh and give him back to the Lord forever. And Elkanah told her to do as she thought was best, only may the Lord establish his word. In other words, not our will, but God's will be done. And once Samuel was fully weaned, Hannah took her son, her only son, for whom she had prayed and waited for so long. And she went up to Shiloh, to the house of the Lord, and she brought Samuel to the priest Eli, saying, Remember me? I'm that woman you saw praying so fervently to the Lord for a son, and the Lord answered my prayer. Therefore, I am giving him back to God. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And then Hannah took Samuel, and she gave him into the care of Eli and returned to her home. Wow. Can you imagine wanting something so badly for so long, and then when you finally get it, giving it away? And Hannah had prayed and prayed to God for a son. And God finally, at long last, gave her a son. And then out of sheer gratitude, she gave that gift right back to God, just as she said she would. I mean, that's completely crazy, isn't it? You'd have to be completely drunk to do something like that, right? Well, unless, of course, you're living under the paradoxical logic of the gospel where the only reasonable thing to do in response to receiving such abundant grace from God is to give it back. I mean, none of what we have is really ours after all. I mean, all, of it, all of it really belongs to God. This is what Hannah understood so well. She knew that Samuel never truly belonged to her. He was just a, a gift to her from God. And out of her deep gratitude to the God of grace who always hears our prayers and who pays special attention to those who are clinging to hope when life is barren, Hannah gave that gift back to God in faith. And because of her faithfulness, not only would all of Israel's time of barrenness come to an end, 
For Samuel would grow up in the presence of the Lord to become a mighty prophet who would establish the monarchy in Israel and raise up David to be king. But Hannah would go on to give birth to three more sons and two daughters because you just can't outgive God. You know, in many ways, Hannah is one of the greatest biblical teachers of the faith. And not just because of her faithfulness and persistence in prayer, but by reminding us that everything we have is a gift from God, including our children. And that they have been entrusted to us that we might raise them up in the Lord and dedicate their lives to him. And remember, in the church, every one of us is a mother or father in faith through baptism. Whether we have children of our own or not, we've all taken the vows, haven't we? And Hannah challenges each one of us to ask, how faithfully are we as parents and as a church family teaching our children to faithfully live out the gospel in grateful response to the love of God who specializes in bringing new life out of barrenness? And how well are we modeling for our children this paradoxical, drunken faith? so that they too might learn to live their lives under the influence of the spirit of the risen Christ. And wouldn't it be something if we became a whole church full of Hannahs who prayed just as fervently as she did for our children, for our youth, for our church family, for our community. You know, I suspect that there are all kinds of things that Jesus has in mind for us in the coming years and many great gifts that he is just dying to give us. Maybe, maybe he is simply waiting for us to ask. Amen.